today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. In the midst of that persecution, let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they're going to give honor and glory to God. Let your life be so right and so obedient that you're giving glory and honor to Jesus in every aspect of your life. And if he's calling for them to do that while they're under great persecution, how do you think we ought to be living our lives in the relative freedom that we have? Man, even more so. Our our light really and truly ought to be shining brightly. In the midst of all of that persecution, Peter also tells them that they needed to be concerned with each other. Many of us can easily struggle when it comes to comprehending something that we are typically so far removed from. When it comes to the liberties of the church today and the persecution of the early church, we often have a hard time understanding the contrast. In today's message, Pastor David challenges us with the message that Peter gave to the early church in the midst of their persecution. In our study, we learn the importance of letting our light so shine before men, especially as believers with such great freedom. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, Willful Ignorance, from the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of a reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, according, uh, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they willingly forget. And if you've got the King James Version, it says they are willingly ignorant. They willingly forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. When Peter says that I now write to you a second time, we, we assume that, uh, again, he's speaking of the, the first letter, First Peter, that we have in our Bibles, as well as now Second Peter that he's writing here. And he states that he's written both of these letters, again, to stir up your pure minds by way of a reminder. When we look at First Peter, we saw that he was speaking to, writing to a church that was under continual external persecution, that the persecutors from the outside were were pressing into the church in their lives and every aspect of their belief system. And 
what I want you to do with me this morning, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time there, but as we're finishing 2 Peter, I want to draw back into 1 Peter, if you would. So you can turn to 1 Peter, and I want to look at a couple of the things that, that Peter reminded the church of even then for in the first letter. He reminds the church, first of all, to remain hopeful in the midst of all of these trials. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, down in verse 7, he speaks to them that the, all of these trials come about in order that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He wasn't telling them to ignore the trials or even to avoid the trials, but that there's a reason and a purpose for those trials. He also reminded them that their lives... Their everyday lives as they lived out in the world and lived out in a world that, again, is is full of darkness, that their lives as believers ought to be lived for the glory and for the honor of Jesus. Still in chapter one, down in verse 14, he says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your what? In your ignorance. It's before they knew In their ignorance, they lived this way, but since they came to Christ, now through the word of God and through the teaching of the Old Testament prophets as well as the teachings of the apostles, now they're learning how they ought to live their lives. And for most all of us, before we came to Christ, we didn't know really that much of a difference between the right thing and the wrong thing, much less the holy thing and the righteous thing and those things that, again, wouldn't give God glory and honor. He says to them still there in in verse 15, he says, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. In chapter two in verse one, still in 1 Peter, he says, therefore, and he's teaching them, therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Saying you were ignorant of these things. Now I'm showing these things to you. This is how you need to live. Still in chapter two, down in verse 11, he says, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. He reminded them also, not only in living their lives in glory and honor to Jesus, but by doing that in a world that's so dark, and so needing of salvation, as the believers live their lives that way, their lifestyle becomes a witness to the non-believers. Our lifestyle, when we live it to the glory and the honor and the praise of Jesus, again, is, 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 is a beacon to a lost and dying world. Back in chapter two, or still in chapter two, but on in verse 12 now, he says, have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. He says, your life ought to be one that, man, even when they come and attack you, they can't find anything to attack because you're living your life to the glory and to the honor of Christ. In chapter three of 1 Peter, in verse 15, we read this. He says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's within you with meekness and in fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed 
For it's better if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. He goes on to remind them as, as believers that they need to submit to God's order of things. God has an order in all of his creation. Back over in chapter two, in verse 13, you remember we read these things. We studied them quite a bit. He says there in chapter two, verse 13, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors. In verse 18, he says, servants, be submissive to your masters. In chapter three, verse one, he says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. And he speaks about even the ones that don't obey the word. In chapter three, still in, down in verse seven, he says, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. In chapter five, verse five, he says, likewise, you young people, submit yourselves to your elders. And in verse six, he says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. All of these things Peter is giving to the church by way of instruction, by way of reminder of how they need to be living. Even though they were a church that was under severe persecution, he says, in the midst of that persecution, let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they're gonna give honor and glory to God. Let your life be so right and so obedient that you're giving glory and honor to Jesus in every aspect of your life. And if he's calling for them to do that while they're under great persecution, how do you think we ought to be living our lives in the relative freedom that we have? Man, even more so. Our light really and truly ought to be shining brightly. In the midst of all of that persecution, Peter also tells them that they needed to be concerned with each other. First Peter chapter three and verse eight, he says, finally, all of you be of one mind, have compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this. In chapter four, in verse eight, He says, and above all things, have fervent love one for another. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. In chapter five, verse two, he speaks to the leadership. He says, you as the leadership, you need to shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So all of this he writes to the church that's under persecution. Now he still writes to this same church, but with a different idea and a different thought. Here in Second Peter, he now writes to a church with the warnings, and we've gone over this multiple times all through this book, uh, this warning of these false teachers that are gonna rise up from outside the church as well as false teachers that are gonna rise up from within the church. And Peter brings this word to them. So here he wraps up his second letter in beginning in here in chapter three, and he writes to them, verse one, beloved, I now write to you. And again, he says, by way of a reminder. Verse two, he says, that you may be mindful 
Yenny wants to drive home here in the last words to the, the church, those words that have faithfully been given to them. In verse two, he says, that you may be mindful the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. By virtue of the context of what Peter's writing, he is in essence declaring that, that his words fall right into agreement with what the Old Testament prophets declared. He's saying, we all write these things to you to warn you as believers of where to keep your eyes open and your ears tuned in to these false teachings, these false doctrines that are gonna come. All of this that Peter writes to them, both in First Peter as well as in Second Peter, he reminds them again that in the last days, these scoffers are gonna come. And he says they, they walk in their own lust. In verse four, he sa- and they come, they ask the question saying, hey, where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep. In other words, since long ago, as generations by generations have gone on, everything has continued as it was from the very beginning of creation. These scoffers, these that come and attack the word of God and the people of God, the message of God, they come to bring doubt to your faith to cast doubt upon the word of God and even to bring doubt upon the very existence of God himself. I thought it was really interesting that this, uh, again, this movie this weekend, God is not dead, is playing. Because that's the very thing that what Peter is saying here. These scoffers are coming and saying, you know what? Everything's just continuing on. I don't know why you're worrying with that. I don't know why you're so involved or focused on anything else. These scoffers come up and says, you've been saying that Jesus has been coming back for years and years and years. Well, when's it gonna happen? When's it gonna happen? You say any day that Jesus is gonna return. When, when? When is that gonna happen? You keep pressing that point and the scoffers continue. We're still waiting. Nothing has changed. The world remains the same. The unfortunate truth, though, is through the years that, that, that many with, within the church, I believe, have really blown it. They've really blown it because they've tried to, tried to set dates. They've tried to set times. And every time that date comes up and Jesus doesn't return, the world says, you guys, the, the foolishness. Oh, I want to be a fool for Christ, but I don't want to be a fool, okay? Do you understand my meaning? And I believe that too many times within the church, we show ourselves foolish rather than being a fool for Christ. We, we again, give great, great uh, uh, ammunition for the enemy to come in and attack our belief. With each new prediction, the world looks at the church really as, as, as idiots and they continue to scoff about our belief and about our declarations. You know, at times, we can be our own worst enemy. Back in 1988, a lot of the evangelical church got on the bandwagon with Edgar Wisenot with his book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. A lot of people within the evangelical community got on board. You know how many people got on board with that? He sold 4.6 million copies of that book. That's how popular it was. One of the reasons it was so popular, because Paul Crouch on his Trinity Broadcasting Network 
used to have Wisenot on there as a regular guest, as a regular guest, pumping and pumping, pumping. Jesus is coming back in 1988. Jesus is coming back in 1988. Guess what? Jesus didn't come back in 1988. Now, Wisenot wrote some other books following that. They weren't nearly as popular. But the world heard about that, and the world simply scoffed. I can't begin to tell you the impact, again, to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of of believers during that great possible cataclysmic event we all know as Y2K. Remember that? Remember how, man, the church got all excited. Whoa, all the computer systems are going to crash. And, and evangelists and prophets got on the air and said, man, when this happens, the mass confusion, the Antichrist is going to rise up. Of course, the church is going to be raptured and taken out of here. It's going to set in motion the tribulation period. You need to get ready. So much, so much, so much hype on that. Guess what? Y2K came by. My computer at home still worked. And all the other ones did too. Somehow, some way, that wasn't the sign of the times. And the world looked at the church and laughed and scoffed again. Right now, there's a tremendous amount of buzz within the Christian community about the coming blood moons. It's called the blood moon uh, tetrad. And what it is, is a series of four total lunar eclipses over a period of two years. There's a lot of buzz going on that about that because it was back in 2008 that a pastor by the name of Mark Billets, as he was studying the scripture, he also went to Nassau's eclipse website. And he correlated the events of these upcoming uh, blood moon uh, tetrads with the festivals of Jewish, uh, of the Jewish religion, of of the the Jewish festivals. And as he coordinated these things, he understood and saw these blood moons fall in relationship with some major Jewish festivals. And so for him, suddenly that became the understanding that Jesus is going to come, the second coming is going to happen during one of these blood moons. Now, the blood moon or the total lunar eclipses, we get those on a rare occasion. But to have the blood moon or the red moon or the total moon eclipses, the the tetrads, the four of them in a period of two years, and that's the most you can get because, again, the way the solar system works, that's the most you can get in any four-year period. Those are very, very, very rare, and that's what got his attention. And so, again, he's started uh, spouting his, uh, his declaration, his prophecy that the Lord is coming back sometime during this, most likely during the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. And when people started talking, well, you know, the word says you can't set the day, you can't set the... He says, I'm not setting the day. I'm not setting the hour. He's just coming sometime during that festival. He didn't believe in the rapture of the church. Otherwise, he would have known that, again, the rapture of the church needs to take place first, and then there's a period of time before the second coming. But John Hagee, again, very popular San Antonio pastor, very pro-Israel, he believes in the rapture of the church. Well, he's not saying it's the second coming, but he's written a new uh, book, and he's got the book out that, again, it's the four blood moons, something is about to change. And he's saying that during that time, some major events are going to happen 
within Israel or to Israel. During that time, again, just the the prophetic uh, declaration, and as he's looked back over history and over time, he says, this has happened in in the past, and it's going to happen again. But let me ask you this. Again, you know, with um, I don't don't think that John Hagee is a bad guy, but I look at this and I say, do you think that anything could happen to Israel over the next two years, whether we have a blood moon or a lunar eclipse or anything? Do you think that anything major can? Right now it's happening, right now. Many times the church makes much ado about nothing. And the world looks and laughs and scoffs. Ah, you've been saying that. When in reality the truth is, is yes, Jesus is coming. And yes, the rapture of the church is going to take place before that. Beloved, every time we start losing our focus and try to focus in on dates or times or seasons, and we've been wrong about that over and over, and well, every time we've done it in the past, we've been wrong, amen? We're still here. Why can't we simply say, the Lord knows the day, the Lord knows the time. I wanna be found ready whenever that time is. And I'm not going to get all sidetracked about the, the changing of a, a millennium. I'm not going to get all sidetracked because remember the Hale-Bot comet? That was another thing it was going to usher in. And, and all of these things that, again, the church gets so excited. Well, there's a plethora of books out there or articles or websites out on the Internet right now about the blood moons. Uh, you can look it up yourself. I just wouldn't spend that much time with it uh, myself. So, Some of the things we need to continue to bear in mind. We don't want to be ignorant of the facts that, yes, Jesus is coming. We don't want to be ignorant of the fact that, yes, these are the last days. We need to understand that. The last days began, again, with the birth of the church, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, and the birth of the church set in motion those last days. We need to not be ignorant of the fact that Jesus says that no man knows the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. We need to not be ignorant of the fact that throughout his teachings, Jesus, as well as the apostles, they gave us a time timetable to understand. Not a time, but a timetable. And we believe, again, that the Bible's very clear in the whole lineup of the second coming, that first and foremost, the rapture of the church must occur. When is that going to happen? Any day, any time. And I've been saying that since, uh, again, I've, uh, I really became a believer in the early 70s, that Jesus can come any time. Does that make it any less valid today? No. I believe that it makes it more valid. The longer it goes, the sooner, or the, the more uh, intensity, I believe. The, the word of God also says that in those last days before the second coming, not only must the, the church be raptured out of here, but there's going to be a seven-year period that's called the tribulation period. During that time, the Jewish temple is going to be built. During that time, the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And during that time, there's going to be, I believe, a second Jewish holocaust that, again, is going to way outnumber the one, again, of Adolf Hitler. All of that has to take place before the second coming, but the rapture could happen at any moment. I believe a worldwide scene is being set even right now for the fulfillment of all of these things. Even now, we see a lot of things that are taking place right now today that could change the entire world in only a day or a couple of days. 
There's events that, that, are, that are set right now that should they happen, should they take place, the entire world will change. so glad we were able to spend time with you today on The Open Word. We hope the message you heard has been encouraging and maybe even given you an incentive to dig a little deeper into the book of 2 Peter for yourself. Did you know that you don't have to wait to hear more teachings from The Open Word? Just visit our website, theopenword.com. We have a number of messages available there to listen to right now or download to hear at your convenience. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you'll never miss a teaching. You're an important part of the ministry here at The Open Word. If you've felt a prompting to become more involved in this great ministry, listen up. Pastor David has a special message just for you. You know, I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word. And God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Your gift, large or small, is greatly appreciated for the kingdom of God. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all we have time for today. Pastor David will continue teaching through 2 Peter when you join us next time on The Open Word. It's more.